you are listening to the Flash F1 podcast with Gil and Mark. Welcome back to the Flash F1 Formula One podcast. Last week, we posted a, a very unique and very special edition. We had previously sat down with Mark Daly of the very, very popular Scuderia F1 podcast and Tim Haraney, the on-air motorsports and Formula One analyst for the Canadian TSN Sports Network. We had a, a really terrific roundtable conversation. In the first half of that conversation, we talked a lot about the current state of the sport. We talked about Charles Leclerc and his new contract with Ferrari. We talked about Max Verstappen. We talked about Michael Schumacher and some of the other pressing questions of the day. In the second part of the conversation, which you're going to hear in just a few moments, we really delved into the legacy of Lewis Hamilton. We talked a lot about what the sport's going to potentially look like in 2021, including how the new regulations will affect the sport, how things like the new wheels will affect drivability, and what we could see from a performance perspective as these drivers and teams begin to transition all of their resources into the new cars that will migrate onto the track in 2021. We didn't always agree on some of the points, but that's kind of what makes this podcast and this conversation so exciting. So I, I hope you really enjoyed the first half. If you did, please let us know, hit us up, subscribe. We want your feedback as always. And with no further ado, I'm going to pass you on to the team so you can enjoy the second half of the conversation. Peace. A bit of an interesting sidebar here. A couple of months ago, I was going through my Facebook, and one of these uh, memories came up. So I'm like, okay, I want to see what I was doing on this day, like X number of years ago. And it comes up from November, October 2013. It says, just finishing watching Sebastian Vettel win his, or win his third world title. I'm like, oh my God, I do not remember watching that race. I do not remember that happening. And then what really freaked me out about it was, I don't remember him winning title number four. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I know. But anyways, uh, going back to, uh, to to Renault and Honda, but that clearly was a, a relationship that had uh, yeah. gone past its, its best before date. Yeah, yeah, because absolutely. when we came into the uh, V6 Turbo Hybrid era in 2014, it's like, Horner was even saying stuff back then that you know, it was more, it wasn't frustration or any animosity. It was just like, they're clearly a step behind compared to Ferrari and Mercedes. Mm -hmm. And that relationship just degraded over years. And then I think it was a really, uh, I think it was really unparalleled. I cannot think of another situation in formula one where you had a team like Red Bull and with their junior team in Toro Rosso was basically able to demo both engines yeah. in their cars at the same time and, yeah. and make that decision, like, like weighing them up, like, like apples and apples, 
okay, well, the Honda's the better engine yeah. than, than, than the Renault. And everybody's like, really? Like, have you not just been watching the past couple of years with those Honda engines at the back of the, the, the McLaren? So yeah. it yeah. was, that was like an unparalleled uh, situation, but it's certainly <laughs> like that, that faith that they or that leap of faith that they took really seems to be paying off because of what Tim was talking about, just that, that synergy that, and that yeah. teamwork that they have with Honda yeah. where the, 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 the car and the, the, the power unit are, integrated rather than Red Bull, Renault, try and put them together. Yeah. Hey, they don't fit. <laughs> well, I, I remember, uh, yeah, and it's nice to see how far Honda's actually uh, come from because I remember 20, 2017, I was in Spain for preseason testing and I was covering it. And uh, I, I remember... I remember McLaren had such a tough time getting that car to the track, getting it on the track and getting it around the track because every time I would sit there. That was year three of the Honda relationship. But I would sit there and I would, you can, you can always tell for like people who are hardcore racers or people who have raced, you know, you can always sit at a racetrack and you'd be like, that's a Corvette coming. Sure enough, here comes a Corvette. That's a Ferrari coming. Sure enough, that's a Ferrari. That you know, you just know the tones, and you know what's coming. I remember sitting there, being like, "Here comes a Ferrari," because they had a, they had this distinct whistle that came from the turbo, and then I'd be like, "Here comes the Mercedes," because it was like one of the quieter engines, and then I'd be like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's it sounded like g- gravel being chewed up inside of an old tin can, and I was like. What is that? And then this orange and black thing comes out of nowhere. I'm I like, bet you Fernando the Alonso had hell? the exact same reaction. <laughs> and you could actually hear how much it struggled just to get the power down. I was at the the second last corner uh, at the circuit, the Catalonia there, the chicane. And just trying, you could hear Alonzo like in the car, like trying to just literally push it forward by himself because there was no traction coming out of the turn. The engine just wasn't picking up. It was almost like there was like a low oil level somewhere that the, you know, the piston was having trouble firing. It was just like, oh my God, what is going on? What is this? Does anybody remember, was it Fernando before the Russian Grand Prix when he was even struggling to get to the starting grid? (laughs) And he's complaining over the radio. Yeah, exactly. I've tried everything. You drive it. (laughs) Typical Fernando. What would you guys think was a more toxic relationship? Hamilton Rosberg or McLaren slash Fernando slash Honda? That should never (laughs) have gone that far. No. If you're, if you're, like I love Fernando Alonso, but if you're uh, if you're an athlete at that level, like there has to be some level of professionalism, yep. and for and you can't criticize Honda like that. I mean, no. you do have to have respect for what they've actually done in the sport. Yeah, I agree. you do because they have won so many titles. Yep. They've done so much for racing drivers in the sport. He did nothing to help the cause. Not nothing, nothing at all. Nothing. And, so and I, I I'm I was a Fernando fan, but even in the moment, I just like. Him getting on the radio and talking about them and talking about them in the press and talking about them to who any anyone that would live like it wasn't helping the relationship it yeah. wasn't fostering um, synergy it wasn't fostering co- a collaborative spirit 
Um, and ultimately, it's I, I kind of think it's a miracle that Honda is still in the sport. And I'm incredibly happy that they're still in the sport because it's creating a great yeah. relationship with them and Red Bull and Toro Rosso. I mean, but, seeing them win, like seeing them win this season. It was a feel-good was, yeah, moment. Yeah, well, unbelievable. Yeah. If you go on Twitter and you go to the the Honda Racing Twitter account and all the stuff that was coming out on their Twitter account yeah. was um it was awesome. It was just so nice to see. And yeah. I, I was actually, I was so happy for them in all honesty, yeah. just all, yeah. all the things they've been through yeah. uh, for the yeah. past few years with the teams and everything. And to finally have figured it out and totally. put it together. And you had another team that believed in you kind of deal. Yeah. Like it, it was just, yeah, it's it great to re- yeah. energize like said, that Mark. fan base in Japan as well. We forget that Huge. there's 130 million people in that country and they are crazy Huge. for motorsports. Yeah. They're crazy for formula one. Yeah. And this re energizes that fan base. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I've only been to Japan yeah. once and that was in 2007. And everywhere you went in Tokyo, there was a billboard with Lewis Hamilton on it. Yeah. No yeah. Like even huh. back then, I mean, that would have been Lewis's first year in F1, wasn't it? 2001? Yeah. 2007. 2007. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. It was really, really cool. Every every race I've been at, the, the number of Japanese fans that follow the tour oh, and they incredible. go to incredible. every single oh, stop awesome, to support yeah. Lewis Hamilton awesome. is bananas like we've stood in line to meet Lewis Hamilton and we're surrounded with Japanese fans and they are <laughs> absolutely obsessed and they travel like the, the the level of commitment that those fans have is crazy yeah and, and we talk about Lewis being that transcendent star well that's another example because there there is no current homegrown Formula One star in Formula One from Japan, and mm-hmm. they latch on to Lewis, which is great to see. Yeah, another cool thing about Japan is you can go anywhere in that country, and there's a vending machine. Yeah, you're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> there's a vending machine. Yeah. You can get like you can get something to drink. You can get a pack of cigarettes and get a fresh clothes. pair of underwear. Yeah, you know, you that's awesome. just like it's everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to, to to anyone else, it sounds kind of bizarre. But if you're Japanese, it's like, well, why wouldn't you have something yeah, that exactly. can be in here? Why wouldn't there be underwear in her? <laughs> it's good to know. I'm thinking of going to Japan next month for my birthday and uh, attend the Blackpink concert right after. So, there you go. Yeah. They got you covered for yeah. anything you need. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. But uh, just uh, going back to, to, to Fernando there, I mean, his legacy in Formula One to me is one of a, a guy, an extremely fast, extremely talented driver, probably should have won more than two world championships. Oh, yeah. But he burned way too many bridges. <laughs> yep. Yep. Wherever yep. he went, he burned He's a lot of bridges. passionate, yet... Yeah. Um, I felt that he was a bit selfish and the yes. way, yes, that's the exact word I would use is selfish that he was, his frustration just led to the, just the, the dissolvement of his relationship with the team and just him leaving just the, his conduct and the way he's, he, he performed, uh, with the team just, uh, didn't really all sit well. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. Didn't really sit well with, with me. You know, he, he had that attitude like, Oh, I'm a world champion. I've done this before. Give me what I need. Yeah. Me, 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 me. Yeah. And yeah, it, it didn't sit well with I, me towards the latter half of his career. I, yeah. I think like uh, you know, and I I'm not, I don't I hate criticizing Fernando Alonso because I think he is one of the greatest racing drivers ever. I honestly Oh, I agree. He's got skills. That. He's got skills just the way he con- conducts himself. I like, think yeah. I think Ferrari and the problems that Ferrari have had I think a lot of that stems from the Alonso days. And I wow. think it is just one of those things that has taken so long to get cleaned up with inside the, the actual team that, that, that I think that's one of the reasons which kind of has set them back. And, and another thing is, you know, I think, you know, having Vettel there, um, to replace him was a good move because I feel that Vettel was the driver that actually kind of helped steer this Ferrari ship kind of back on yeah. track. If, yeah. if you were to say, if you were to say so. And, and that kind of opens the door now for Leclerc where he's now coming into a team that has a little bit more form to it than, 
you know, what it did have when Vettel showed up. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. The last race that uh, that we went to was the Spanish Grand Prix in 2014. So that was the last year of Danny Ricardo and Sebastian Vettel, and that was uh, Kimi Raikkonen and Fernando Alonso. So it was yeah. just sort of this previous to this generation or this mm-hmm. iteration of uh, Formula yeah. One. It was kind of interesting how it's all sort of move forward uh, from from here. And of course, there's a couple of teams that were on the grid then that don't exist anymore. Yeah. But I guess that uh, that is Formula One. But yeah, Fernando, he, that, the, he is an interesting case study. And <sighs> it, it's just the, the one thing that it's, it's just interesting how his tenure in Formula One ended, because when he left McLaren, it wasn't it was kind of open-ended. It's still, you know, and he's still, I mean, he's still saying he, you know, he, you know, he'd like to go back in 2021. He's dropped those hints, but I just, I, I just can't see it. No Do you see a team that would no take way. on no. that shadow? No I don't think There's so. too much bad. I think he's yeah, open to it, but I don't yeah. think any team on the yeah. grid is willing he's to He's burned too many bridges with his conduct. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I remember the uh, the first Grand Prix I went to was the 2001 European Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. Wow! So I can actually say that I've seen uh, both Verstappen's race in Formula wow. One. You know, Yoss the boss, which was uh, kind of cool. He was like, <laughs> that's cool. I, I kid you not, he was like a, a orange a, a, arrows. Orange arrows, wow. exactly. He was like a cult figure in the Netherlands at that time because I'm yeah. Dutch Canadian. I was living in Holland at the time, and he was like a really massive. So it was kind of cool to see. Seen both of them uh, race in Lost the in, boss. In real life. Yeah, love the boss. But also going back to 2001, of course, that sort of peak Schumacher uh, era. But also that was just about the the, the time when uh, Jensen Button was just coming into Formula One. Yep. Uh, Alonso was in Formula One. I guess the, 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 you'll go back to like one of the classic names of Formula One that never yeah. really accomplished anything. Yeah. That was Minardi. But, oh. but I mean, some of the names, some yeah. of the guys that the raced drivers for that, that team. came out of Minardi. Yeah, the legacy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Minardi was one of those teams that gave so many drivers that that opportunity and have you ever heard like alonzo's very first time in the minority like on a race weekend have you ever guys ever heard that no, story? I don't the know very so. first time down pit lane in a minority he comes it, schumacher is in front of him at the end of pit lane and they're waiting for the red light to go green so they can go out on track for the first practice session and he comes down screaming down pit lane <laughs> with the pit pit lane limiter on he sees that the light's red he's like oh crap i gotta stop so he starts stopping he's like where's neutral <laughs> searching all over the steering wheel as he's screaming towards Schumacher and at the last second last second finds neutral hits the brakes wow wow that's, that's cool funny. I hadn't heard but that the, the, the cool thing about going to that race in 2001 was being able to um experience peak Schumacher mania in Germany at the oh. time that that was something and also those normally aspirated cars yes. yeah. because uh, I, I went we went with a, a group of about eight or nine or ten of us and we were sitting at the bottom of the track in the where the big hairpin is and it's really cool because at the Nürburgring when they come down they come down the hill mm-hmm. through a series of S's into the hairpin mm-hmm. then they go up and then there's a real quick left hander up at the top of the hill so you roughly see the cars for about 25 to 30 seconds, which is a long time at a, at a racetrack, but it was really cool. And I remember, you know, you're there for the whole weekend and you watch the different support races and you know, the cars are loud, but when you get that entire field of 20 or 22 cars, whatever it was back in 2001, when they come around for the first several laps while they're still grouped together and you're sitting there and you're sitting with all your friends, you're trying to soak up the atmosphere. But when those cars come by, 
you realize that they give you those little foam earplugs yeah. for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it's then you're loud. literally covering your ears like because your head feels like it wants wow. to explode. Yeah. And then when we were in Spain in 2014 for the uh, for the Grand Prix there, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> you know, we were sitting at uh, just pretty much opposite the uh, the exit to the pit lane. And, you know, the cars are going by and, you know, the, when you walk into the track, they give you the earplugs and so it's like, well, I put these back in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's, you I mean, the stark difference between it was, it was absolutely uh, uh, amazing. Being and, part of the Renault driver development program and stuff, we toured around a bit with uh, Formula One. And I remember in 04, uh, Villeneuve was in, I think he was in the Bar Honda, Bar Honda at the yeah. time. I remember talking to him about it because, we, you know, he always gave some good advice, but, you know, I always asked him not what the sound of the engine was like because the engine actually will rattle your eyes and it's kind of, you need the, uh, like those soundproof uh, molded earplugs because some people are like, oh, so they can talk to the team. It's like, actually, one of the reasons is because it shakes your eyeballs out of your head. Yeah. You literally start seeing double as you're, as you're racing and you can't, you just can't focus. You can't drive basically. So I had always asked him, you know, what was it was, what was the downshift? Like the downshifts on these cars, like, because at the, at that time it was very violent, very aggressive. And he said they'd blow the air out of his lungs. <laughs> and so oh. during a qualifying session, I was like, Hey, you know what? I got nothing to do. I'm done with the team. We're done analyzing data. I'm going to go watch F1 qualify because usually I just sit in a trailer and watch it on uh, satellite TV that we had there. So anyways, walked out to the track and stood by one of the hairpins and the car's coming by. I had to plug my ears. And then when they slammed on the brakes and started downshifting, you could actually feel the ground like shake underneath your feet. Yeah. And I will never forget that because the power that was just, Oh, the, the power is you, you could hear it, you could feel it. Yeah. I mean, you could experience it. And the other thing in 2001 that impressed upon me as well is you could hear the, the, the traction control Yeah, when it was, it, it made like it this. You spitting, or, like yeah. you just hear it, it was missing, really, misfiring. And yeah. just like you knew the traction control was on and you could tell the levels of, of traction, who had the best traction control at that time because you could hear how many times it was correcting yeah. and all this other kind of stuff. Wow. But The one thing that really amazes cars. me though, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The one thing besides that that really amazes amazes me going from say that that gap of um, you know almost 20 years now I mean heaven forbid but <laughs> is not just the straight line speed that these cars that they, they had then but just how much quicker they are through the corners now in yeah, in, in modern sure. Formula One it yeah. is they really are like downforce you know, levels are it's, incredible. it's amazing it really is amazing it's like you, you wonder why they can't race right yeah it's like yeah. if everyone's braking at the 50 meter mark before the corner yeah. who how are you supposed to pass? You can't Where's pass. Where's the opportunity? It's yeah. like, yeah. oh, well, we've made another hairpin. Well, that's great. Like, how are you going to pass into there? Everyone's breaking at the same time. Well, the, you raise an interesting point there because Danny Ricardo has this reputation of being a late breaker. If they're all breaking mm-hmm. at 50 meters, where is Danny breaking at? 49 and a yeah, half? At that point, it's like, <laughs> but then you're like, oh, you're at that point, the driver in front of you is going to start to turn. So you're just going to yeah. smuck right into him. Yeah. It's just getting to the point now where the downforce is. It's getting a little out of control, I think. So. Yeah, well, with, the, with the technology and how fast the cars are going, you know, that's the same with anything else. The tire compounds are different. You know, last couple of seasons, they were going like super soft, hyper yeah. soft, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. ultimate supreme soft, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. So the tire compounds are different. The yeah. aerodynamics is different. You know, going into the hybrid motors and all the little louvers they put on and take off on the vehicle. 
course, it's going to make it faster, but um, you know, everything's all there's a balance. There's, everything's all relative. As, a, as yeah. a racing driver, you always want to drive the fastest stuff, and you always want to drive the most dynamic cars and the cars that handle the best and the cars that are you know big balls, flat out corners, yeah. and you want to see what that's like and if you can actually do it. Are you going to need yeah. your left foot to hold your right foot down when you're going through a corner? You know, you always want to feel those sensations when you're a racing driver. But if you're a fan and you're sitting in the grandstands, you could care less <laughs> about how fast the car is going through the court. You want to see some races. Yeah, but yeah. You, yeah. you look at this you past want, you want to see these guys go away. You look at this past season where it was clearly evident that Ferrari, they were working on their top line, straight line speed. Yeah. Mercedes had the cornering. They had, you know, the the drivability around the corners. And Ferrari even admitted that Mercedes has taken them on the corners. Yeah. yeah. It's I I I'm lucky because I've had the opportunity to sit in almost the exact same seat at Silverstone for a turbo hybrid era formula one race and a current iteration moto gp race and we we talk about the noise and the experience and the volume of sound that the current formula one cars produce it's certainly not what it was in the naturally aspirated era in fact and i i I quite like the sounds and i was fortunate enough that i saw a 2016 race and i saw a 2018 race so i got to see the differences because i guess there was certain there's been a couple iterations of the current generation of the formula in the turbo hybrid era, but I, I could say pretty definitively that a current generation MotoGP bike is significantly louder and oh, produces louder. significantly oh. <laughs> more volume of sound and experience than a Formula yeah. One car. It's it's yeah. crazy that that yeah. one en- that one liter engine sitting under the driver, one can little piston. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's absurd. And again, I I, I didn't I w- didn't I wasn't lucky enough to see a lot of live Formula One prior to the turbo hybrid era. Yeah. But I hear people hearkening back to that era and oh, what that dude. experience was like. <laughs> I I don't know it, but I know what MotoGP sounds like, and holy, that's a different experience. Yeah. Like you feel it in your chest, you feel yep. it in your spine, yeah. you feel it in the stands, and these are motorbikes. Yeah. And even as the pack breaks apart over the course of the rake because in, in MotoGP is very similar to F1 where you've got some top tier teams you have you have Honda you have Yamaha and then the rest mm-hmm. of the field kind of splinters apart but even when it's one or two bikes going through a corner and you're sitting adjacent to them you feel it in every bone in your body I can't imagine what it would be like to be in one of those cars or on one of those mm-hmm. bikes Incredible. I can't even imagine when it comes to engine noise, I'm, I'm firmly from the Spinal Tap school of thought and you know turn it up to 11 you know, <laughs> as, as loud as possible you know <laughs> absolutely all right. Well, let's let's uh, move on now and uh, talk about something. I, I've been thinking about the perfect name of this uh, meeting of the minds here, <laughs> and, and how about we, we pay we, we should and uh, sort of pay homage to both motorsport and to Canada's national uh, sport hockey. So why don't we call this puck for May? There you go. Any takers? Well done. Just, uh, well done. Nice. Eye rolls all around. But, uh, anyways, that's a, that's a nice little segue to get me to where I want to go. But 2020 is going to be a really cool year in Formula One for Canadian Formula One fans and uh, Canadian motorsport fans in general because we have two guys that are going to be racing in F1, Lance Stroll and Nick Latifi. And so, Tim, I'm just going to ask you, how does that raise the profile of Canadian race drivers and Canadian motorsport in general to have these two guys in F1? Well, on on what type of a level, though, do do, you you know, because if if you look at it, you know, uh, broadcasting television, people watching on TV. I think it's not gonna not gonna change. Like it'll change a bit. I I, I don't think it'll be huge. The numbers for F one are massive in Canada. I mean, I don't think Canadians really understand just how big 
this sport has become in Canada over the last five years. It's been incredible uh, rate of progression in that form. Having two Canadians, does it help? Yeah, I mean, it, it helps a little bit. I think one of the biggest factors is can they win? And if they do win, then you're going to start getting, you know, certain people starting to watch who have never watched racing before getting up at 9 a.m. To, to turn on the TV or to whoa, whoa, whoa. start streaming. You're, you're on the West Coast you're right now. West Coast, yeah, yeah, yeah. 6 a.m. Like 6 a.m. <laughs> you know what? But, but it, it, you're going to start getting the person who knows absolutely nothing about Formula One watching mm. at that point. Having two Canadians in F1 on a full-time basis for the first time in history for racing fans in Canada who understand, that is a massive story. It is huge. And I think that we really need to start pumping that story out just because, uh, you know, just because there's just because there's never been two doesn't make it is it's a it's a it's just such a big deal because, you know, we've never had something like this happen to us as a nation. It's extremely hard to get into Formula One. Everyone seems to think that if you got this big checkbook, you can just write your way into it. But that's no not way. how it works. No. Like, this is not how it works. I mean, you can have all the money in the world. There's still no chance that you're going to get into Formula One. You have to win. You have to get a super license. You have to have the right chops. You have got to make sure because let's talk about Nicholas. Nicholas is a driver who has worked his ass off from day one to get to where he is. He's never had anything handed to him. He's had to work for every single thing that he's ever been given. And to go through the levels of motorsport and to do the things that Nicholas has had to do to get to where he is, is impossible. It is so impossible. I can't even describe to you uh, the level at which and the things that he has had to do to get to Formula One. Now, once he gets into Formula Two, gets on a good team with Dams, they're able to coach him, bring him along, and he's able to bring his natural ability to the team, and they're able to massage that. You have to remember that they're Formula One teams. They're talking to the Formula Two teams. They're trying to find out what is he good at, what is he not good at, what can he improve at, what do we need to do to make him better, and what do you need to do to make him better. Yeah. Right. Williams isn't going to take on, you know, Nicholas last season as a test and reserve driver for the fun of it. Right. So they're not going to just be like, oh, yeah, well, we'll take him. And uh, if he's got some sponsorship, we'll just take that, too. And, you know, well, screw the rest of it. It's kind of like we need to see everything he's doing. Yeah. Well, but, you know, based on my experience in pro sports is that it's a very small world. You might be with one team and you might be looking at a driver, whoever, from another one. But it's a small world. Everybody, it's all interconnected. Everybody knows and, you know, there, there's very little space to hide secrets. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And the fact that we have we are going to have two Canadians in Formula One and to talk about Lance, um, you know what? I think coming into 2020, this is a big year for Lance. I think this is a year that's going to make or break him, in all honesty. Uh, I think... I think he's going to have a great season. I really think Racing Point is going to be a very strong team uh, this upcoming season. 2021 is going to be interesting. Is he going to be still with the team? I think if he has a great season, yes, he will stay with the team. But everyone kind of seems to think that, yeah, his dad owns part of the team. 
that he will be with them forever. That's not necessarily the case. You have to remember that Lawrence is a businessman and business needs to, you know, your business needs to work and you need to, you you need to make sure you're doing your job to the best of your ability. And that includes driving on the racetrack and qualifying, which is where Lance obviously needs to work. Well, Mark and I had this discussion in one of our podcasts too with, with Stroll's father owning the team, mm-hmm. you know, with his performance, does he keep him? Let him go halfway through the season? Don't don't even get me started with with Stroll. Mark, you, you take it away with 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 uh, what we talked about with Stroll and his father owning the team and everything. It's just it's, uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic. In fact, I I actually feel better knowing that that's how you feel about the situation because you know the family, you know you know Lance and. I would hate to think for a minute that there, there was this built-in sense of entitlement that, hey, I have a long-term ride with this team yeah, Lance, because of my father. Yeah, like I would Nicholas, hate to think that that was the case because Lance has to work I don't for want, everything too, right? Totally. I want Lance's mentality to be that I need to earn my spot like every other driver oh, does. He knows that for sure, 100%. And I think for Lance, if he can just get control of the qualifying and learn from, from Sergio, I, I honestly think he's going to have a dynamite season. A lot of people don't really understand and and a lot of the people who i talk to on twitter you know after qualifying and people are so frustrated and they oh they get so mad at lance and they start saying that's me that's us us. one of the things that you you need to take into consideration is that he's come from a williams team that was at its worst in a car that was at its worst and then taking him out of that situation putting him into a car and then it's basically a Frankenstein car at this point because Racing Point started the season with their 2018 car guys they started 2019 with their 2018 car okay and then you're expecting this young man to figure this car out like Sergio Perez already has because he's been with this team since day one he's been in this car for a number of years he knows how it works he knows how to get the best out of it it for lance he's coming into a situation where there was no way he was going to do well in qualifying there just wasn't it was it was unrealistic for people to set expectations for him to be as fast as sergio perez who's really fast to begin with right so those expectations set way too high yeah i think i think our frustrations mark and i is the fact that Stroll is Canadian. I think we we're just so, want, we, we're so emotionally invested. Yeah, we just in want him yeah, to do successful. well as a Canadian yeah. driver. We want him to do well, and with what, what we've seen of him so far, you know, we're we're we're, we're, we're just on the fence. We, we know that he's got consistency, that he is a good driver. We were just, I think, our expectations were a bit higher. His story is an interesting <laughs> one, right? Because, and I think I heard you <clears throat> talked about this on your podcast. <clears throat> he he makes the jump from Formula Three to Formula One. He doesn't even make that intermediary step. He wins the F three title, and he's brought right into the Williams family. He's paired next to Felipe Massa in 2017 and for all intents and purposes and based on everything I've heard that wasn't necessarily a bad relationship but it was by no means a mentorship and despite that he still finishes he still qualifies on the front row in Italy and he pulls in a podium in Baku which Mm -hmm. is still the highlight of his career 2018 was it was a disaster by any means. He's paired next to Sorokin, who's by all accounts a nice kid, but he's he's in his first season of Formula One. The team is at its absolute worst. And then I think the best thing that could possibly have happened to him in that circumstance is that he was extracted from that situation. So for all of the 
negatives associated with the Racing Point situation team or last year, the best thing that could possibly have happened to him was that he was taken out of that situation. And this is where I have a little bit of concern for Nicholas Latifi because as much skill and as capable as he is and as as mature and as professional as he is as an individual, I worry about him now going into that situation because I'm not convinced it's fundamentally different than it was when, and maybe you can speak to this, but I'm not convinced it's fundamentally different than it was when Lance was there. Uh, well, in terms of uh, the di- the dynamic of the team has totally changed. I mean, Williams has cleaned house uh, from top to bottom. Uh, I think everything that happened uh, with Patty Lowe being there yeah, and everything that happened with that situation and him taking his leave of absence or however they said bye-bye to him and then going in and restructuring everything, I think was a great thing. Yeah. I think one of their key issues is they've had some problems uh, with their wind tunnel in the past, and that kind of led them down some wrong roads at the end of the day. And I think leaving, I think Patty Lowe's idea of leaving what was working to try and create something that was different just didn't work. And it took the team in such a wrong direction. And they spent so much money and lost so much money that now they're in this rebuilding stage. From what I've heard, it sounds like they're headed in the right direction. Talking to George Russell, uh, you know, last month and and hearing what he had to say, he really did feel that the team actually was going in the right direction because George actually isn't one to mince his words. I think if, for those of us who follow uh, the sport really closely, we've heard him actually lash out at Williams before. I know, I know, I have, and so listening to him at the end of the year and how pleased he was with where the team started to where they finished is a good thing. All things considered in qualifying, they're what, three to four seconds off of the pace. If they're somehow able to make some of that gap up, they can compete with the the back end of the midfield, uh, which is great. And for Nicholas and where he's concerned, in terms of who is under pressure at that team in terms of the drivers, it's certainly not Nicholas. This is George Russell's year coming up, sure. and the pressure is on George. George needs to deliver. He could be out of Formula One. Yeah, yeah well, look at a guy that, uh, I mean, he's a Mercedes driver. Yeah, exactly. And look at a guy that was in a similar uh, situation just a couple of uh, years ago. I mean, we, I, I jokingly referred to him uh, earlier in the show, and that was Pascal Verlein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was, a, yeah. sort of, he was a Mercedes reserve driver yeah. in the Hamilton uh, Rossberg year, and where is yeah. he now? Yeah. You know, so. Well, for, for, for Nicholas, I think <clears throat> one of the big things, I think he's in such a great situation, and everyone's, you know, a lot of Canadians have come up to me or they've tweeted at me or they've sent me messages saying, oh, this sucks, he's at Williams, we got a Canadian, <laughs> yeah. we got two Canadians in F1, and now the second one's going back to Williams, like, come on, and I'm just like, actually, you know what, this isn't a bad thing. I think this is a really great opportunity for Nicholas to learn. You know, you have to remember that if I'm, you know, let's say let's say I go from Formula 2 and then all of a sudden Ferrari wants to sign me and I'm getting into Formula yeah. 1 for the first time and you're driving Ferrari, like, think of the pressure yeah. that's mm-hmm. on your shoulders totally. at that point. And let's say you can't figure out the, the tires. You can't figure the tires out. You can't figure the car. The Mick car's Schumacher, not made for you. are you listening? Like, yeah, exactly. 100%. <laughs> yeah, nice. And we'll get to that yeah. in a second because yeah. you're definitely going down the right path on that one. You get into the car, it, your career's finished. You're you're done after six races. That's it. It's it's over for you. Yeah. So for Nicholas, this is I think, in my personal opinion, I think this is the best place for him. I think this is the best place that he can learn with no pressure. Yep. The only thing I think that's going to stop him from being around Formula One 
for a second season is qualifying performances. What is the gap between him and George? Yeah. And how big is that gap in qualifying? I'm not yeah. concerned about the racing whatsoever. I Nicholas was, is an amazing race car driver. Racing, the same with Lance. They're, they're, the two of them are unbelievable racing drivers. I think qualifying is where a lot of the things are going to be determined. Uh, can he keep up with George? Absolutely. I think he's just as fast as George. And I think uh, I think after the first five races, I think Nicholas will have it have things under control. I was yeah. lucky enough that I was at the the Grove. I was at the Williams factory in twenty late twenty sixteen in Grove. Um, it, as much as as much as a lot of people have criticized Williams, and they become a bit of. I hate to say it, but they become a bit of a joke, despite their yeah. immense heritage and mm-hmm. their drivers' titles mm-hmm. and their you don't constructors' say. titles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you go to that facility, and it is still an absolute world class facility. 100%. The wind tunnels and the factory and their heritage center oh, yeah. and their office space—it's still a world class yeah. facility. They have the infrastructure, and I forget. And I, again, I'm bringing up Wikipedia right in front of me. But 2014, and again, it, it was a bit of a transition year. You're transitioning from the naturally aspirated V8s into the, hybrid. the turbo hybrids, yep. but they still finished third in the constructors that year they finished well, ahead of ferrari it is, it is frightening to see how quickly they d- disappeared into yep. the abyss i mean just going back a couple of years ago to when it was a uh, valtteri bottas and felipe massa i mean they basically were the best of the rest of the rest for sure they weren't the red bull but they were kind of that mclaren renault team sure. that we saw like in 2019 but i mean to see yeah. where they've really just gone down yeah. into the, uh, the the depth of darkness is is frightening because i mean if you even look around the room that we're sitting in right now i mean i've got damon hills championship yeah, car got Niger- yeah i got vilna yeah. <clears throat> excuse me so i mean the, their heritage and just the, the the knowledge that this team had i mean i grew up in an era where i was a massive nigel mansell fan i mean just the i mean they were the team to be with i mean you go through the 80s you go through the 90s with with Hill and then uh, with Jacques. You go into the early 2000s. There's a Ralph yep. Schumacher hat there with yep. him and Juan Pablo. And I mean, then even into the turbo hybrid era with uh, with, with Massa and, and Bottas. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's yep. just like the bottom fell out. And, it, and I, it's scary. So, I mean, uh, just uh, <clears throat> excuse me from the point of view that uh, a, a lot of Canadian fans might be alarmed or very concerned for, for, for Nicholas going there right now. They can only go up, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, they, they, yeah. they've. Exactly. I can't. Point. I can't see them sinking any lower. And hopefully, you know, as Tim was just saying, that they've cleaned house top to bottom. Is uh, you know they, they've got to turn it around at some point. Well, just to be a driver, any driver to say that, hey, I got into Formula One, like you were saying, how hard it is, oh, just to, and just the fraction, yeah. or just any driver jumping into even a short season into Formula One, and say, hey, I got into Formula. One. I, at least somebody saw. Him something in me that I was able to compete in Formula 1. Yeah, there was uh, – it's a perfect example you make, but, but like I remember reading something on Twitter not too long ago about uh, Karun, Karun Chando. Oh, oh yes. yes. Yep. Someone yeah. was like, was like bashing the guy – because he was now doing Sky Sports work. Yeah, he's an announcer. And they're all about. like, you know, what do you know? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude. <laughs> he drove. He, yeah. They're like, yeah, he may have had a cup of coffee, but like – he got in. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like just to get in is impossible. And people just don't seem yeah. to understand yeah. What that. people see is that that five minutes in the sport, what they don't see is the 10 or 15 oh, years so that gets there. Yeah. 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 it gets there. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Just, yeah. just to add to what you're saying too, I, I grew up in the UK and I recall every Sunday for me was 
roast lunch with my grandparents and mm-hmm. then watching the F1 race. And it was all about Williams in the 90s in the yeah. UK was an institution. Yeah. And they were popular because they were a family run yeah. team. Yep. They were British based. They hired British. It was all about the British history. It was principally about the British drivers and, and Nigel Mansell was a big part of that heritage. And then for me to move over to Canada and then to see Villeneuve make that jump and to make it yes. with Williams, mm-hmm. it's been, it's been a little bit painful to see this. So it's very personal for me, this situation, just cause there's kind of some, <laughs> kind of some family linkages there, but I'm excited to hear that we all agree that they've bottomed out and there's nowhere to go, but up. Yeah. So. I, I really think, I really do feel from the things that I've heard that they're going in the right direction. I really do think that the Williams Obviously, they're not going to light the timing sheets on fire this year, but I really do feel that they are going in the right direction. I think what's going to uh, determine a lot of how far they go this season is where they start spending their money because I could see them, I can see the team coming out, I can see them having the first 10 races being really solid for them as a team. And then I can see it teetering off only because they're taking that extra revenue and dumping it into the 2021 car. Because I think the, I think, and I think that's going to affect a lot of these racing teams as the season kind of progresses. I think a lot of the racing teams are going to have a look at summer break. Where are we in the championship In the constructors championship drivers championship? Where do we sit and how much money should we keep spending on this season before we pull the plug and start dumping all yeah. of our resources? It, it is a weird year live that way. I mean, yeah. we were sort of stuck in this sort of no man's land yeah. between the current regs and the, and the new regs coming in for, for 2020. But before we go down that road and we start to wind things mm-hmm. up here, I, I, Tim, I just wanted to get your, your two cents uh, on Lance. You know, yeah. we, we were just talking about it uh, a little bit. We kind of touched on it here and there just uh, about the qualifying. I mean, was it 15 races in a row? He didn't make it out of Q3, whatever it is. <laughs> or sorry, Q1. Q1. Pardon, Q1. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, he was saying something not so long ago. It comes down to the details and you're just saying that, yeah. that him and Nicholas are really good racing drivers. You'd like to know what those details yeah. are, don't yeah, you? <laughs> well, it, well, I'm sure Lance does as well right so well, so what, what is it where, where does he need to focus down because absolutely. again it's just it, 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 I, I'm sure when you get to that level it's about um, you know focusing on the, like the big picture but it's all those little details yep. that add up to the uh, the, the larger uh, sum I yeah guess you could abso- call it. absolutely you know I, one of the one of the things has to be with details is set up on the car and when Lance kind of says details he's not really talking too too much about uh, race and the car and the setup of the car during race trim. It's more along the lines of like qualifying and setting up the car determines on what is happening with the actual tire and how the tire is actually working uh, with the race car itself. So I think for Lance, one of the things that he means by details is how is he driving the car under the current setup? What does he need to tweak and then how is he going to keep that tire underneath him for the full lap of a qualifying lap? Because if you think of it this way, when these drivers go out uh, to start a qualifying lap, they do what's called a prep lap. Okay, a prep lap is to get the car and to get the tire up to operating temperature. How do they do that? They weave back and forth, but a lot of it comes from braking and how hard they use the brakes, how much the brakes generate heat, how much the pad generates heat on top of the disc, and the disc then heats the actual wheel, which then heats the actual tire itself, and then inflates, and et cetera, et cetera. So a prep lap is preparing the tire to start the quali lap. You don't want to start the quali lap with an over-prepared tire. 
one of the things that Lance struggled at at the beginning of his career was overdriving the car. People would always say, oh, he's overdriving the car. Okay, well, he's overdriving the car. He's overdriving the tire. Okay, he's doing more with the tire than it actually can handle. So he's learned that. Okay, he's smoothed out. He's smoothed himself out. What it comes down to is the details. Do I need a little bit more front wing to get a little more heat into the tire at the start of my lap? But I also have to remember that that little bit of front wing I just added is going to affect me six corners later. And now I'm going to need to make an adjustment for that corner. So maybe a corner that I'm better at, I'm now going to have to sacrifice and be a little slower at so I can get the ultimate from the tire. Uh, So one of the things from Lance is just overcooking the tire on some of his laps he gets frustrated and he overdrives the car sometimes still. But if he can iron out those small, tiny little little engineering details, which he will, working with Sergio, I think has, has taught him a lot. Um, we've seen in FP2s, we've seen in FP3s, you know, Lance has been sometimes faster than Sergio. And people look at FP2 and FP3 as, oh, they're just practicing. Okay. What I want people to do now is when you watch FP2 and FP3, watch with the intent that the beginning is qualifying. These guys are trying to figure out the car for qualifying. They're pushing the car, what it's going to simulate, what their qualifying laps are going to look like, okay? And then when you watch the end of FP2, it's going to be more, you know, racy. The cars are going to be going a lot slower because now they're working on race trim. They're working on how to drive the car in race conditions, how much fuel to save, when to push, where can they attack, etc., etc. So when they get the cars dialed in in FP2, FP3 is the finalizer, where it's kind of like, this is what you have when we go into qualifying three hours from now or whatever, two two or three hours from now. Okay, so what you've got right now, that needs to work. Okay, because we can't make another adjustment to the car in FP3 because you're going to go out and qualifying, you're not going to know what you have. Mm. Okay, so... That, again, is a detail unto itself that these drivers tend mm. to need to learn when they get into Formula One, and that's one of those things that Lance is talking about. Kind of, you got to learn it on the job. Absolutely. Yeah, and, that, and that's another thing, right? Not, not enough testing. Oh, it's not like the it's, old days yeah, where they get like unlimited miles totally. almost. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's like, so you really rely heavily on that uh, experience. And you look at a guy like Lewis Hamilton, and, and ever, I remember when Lance came into F1, and everyone was just giving me the gears where they were just like, this guy sucks. Da, da, da. He can't do anything. Cause he crashed out of actually he didn't crash out of he DNF the first race because he had a brake disc blow up and, and then he got crashed out of a few, one from Carlos science. And then the other one, I think it was Perez crashed him out. And so he didn't collect any points mm-hmm. until finally Canada, where he finally collected some points. Right. One of those things is that he never had the experience coming in. Yeah. I know missing Formula 2 was a huge, huge mistake. But at the end of the day, if Formula 1 comes knocking, who's going to turn that down? You've got to answer the door. There's just no way. You just figure it out as you get there. Like You'll get there and then just figure it out as it it goes along. But if you see after Canada, he actually started to match Felipe Massa on pace after that. And so it all comes down to experience at the end of the day with Formula One nowadays. Like these drivers, usually the drivers that have the experience usually tend to be the fastest yeah. ones. All right, just uh, before we bring it full circle and just uh, speculate on what uh, we could expect to see in 2020 this year, we just mentioned Mick Schumacher really briefly in, in passing, but he looks to be maybe the next 
up and comer that's really sort of knocking on the door in F1. But the, the question that I've had, and obviously he's in the Ferrari driver system, is that after 2021, say for whatever reason, Sebastian is not back at Ferrari next year. Do we see a situation, and I mean, it would be pretty much unheard of at Ferrari to have two young guys in Charles Leclerc and then an, an extremely young guy in, in Mick Schumacher. Apart from, you know, his background and, and growing up with it and just his his pedigree and his talent on its own, I just think that that's too soon to see Mick Schumacher in in Formula One at Ferrari at any rate. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree. I think mm-hmm. yeah. I think you guys would as well. I mean, if we if we go back to a lot of the conversations that we have been having in here, you know, a lot of you, you have your star driver and then you've got a, a pupil or someone you're bringing up. And I think for Ferrari, it's like I'd said, they want to keep Sebastian Vettel. They want to have that that rock, you know, that yeah, they've And they're still cultivating Leclerc, right? They've mm-hmm. invested yeah, in Leclerc. And, and you need Nicole. to make sure that, like, if you're bringing a mm-hmm. uh, First, Mick has got to do well in Formula 2. Like, yeah. Let's yeah. be honest here, okay? Yeah, like, that's the main point. And that would be my point exactly, is he is not an established rock star at no. the Formula 2 level. And you, you've seen now... Nick DeVries will have vacated his position in Formula 2. Nicholas Latifi will now have vacated his position in Formula 2. Luca Giotto. Exactly. If he's going to demonstrate that he can win at the Formula 2 level, he has to do it this year. And if he does it, I don't think there's any Formula 1 runway at all. So we maybe are getting ahead of ourselves a little bit Mm -hmm. because he hasn't established himself. And we've seen a wealth wealth of talent come through that Formula 2 pipeline the last two seasons. And of all of them, whether it's the Albons and the Latifis and... um, everyone else Russell, like, Leclerc, Russell yeah. Leclerc he's probably the one that I have the least amount of confidence in now it's a great story it's an unbelievable marketing story it's a great narrative it's something I'd love to talk about but even if he was ready does Ferrari not maybe leverage it Sauber slash Alfa exactly Romeo that was the point I want to get to yeah yeah, yeah. I, I see him very much like if he comes into Formula One in 2020 I expect to see him in a Haas or an Alfa Romeo rather than in the Scuderia itself. It's yeah. kind of like okay, yeah. well, if you're, you're who, who are you gonna who are you gonna let go, right? Raikkonen, Grosjean, Grosjean. Grosjean doesn't. There's another one, right? Yeah. Like yeah. so, so who are you gonna let go? Are you gonna? I don't think I like. I don't think like Ferrari has say over who goes at Haas. Haas has their say on the on the driver uh, front. Yeah. But for Alfa Romeo, they don't they don't really have a choice. No way. Ferrari, no way. Like, yeah. you know, Ferrari yeah. calls the shots but over there. I, the I would so. love to be that guy in Gunther Steiner's office when he tells Ferrari where to go. When yeah. They, yeah, yeah, exactly. They say, right? We want Mick Schumacher yeah, in your team. Like, yeah, I'd okay. love to hear that reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. I, I, I think it's going to come down to if Giovinazzi has a poor season and mm. if what's, what's Raikkonen's desire, yeah. I think, at the end of the season. Because yeah. how... Honestly, guys, let's throw this out there. Like, how if how long do you think they let that guy race? Yeah. Honestly, Kimmy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like Kimmy right? Raikkonen. I, I, I know him. from a personality. <laughs> to so take, much. The, take the fan, take the fandom out of it. Yeah, and just yeah. like logically. Yeah, but he's got he's got history. I think he's still a good driver. I just don't think he's been given the he the last few seasons. Smacked season. at the yeah. end of the season, man. Like yeah. Giovinazzi smacked him around when he figured it out. Yeah. yeah. Well, with, with Raikkonen going back to Alfa Romeo to the the, the team where he say he was going to start his career yeah. and wanted yeah. to end his career, uh, I still think he's a good driver. He just needs the car, the the tools, and the opportunity to to compete. Uh, I just you know his first season back with Alfa Romeo. I think they're just trying to. Put, 
puzzle or a piece those puzzles together. Right? I think, I think so. they're using a lot of his experience to, to help set uh, set some foundations in place for for the future. I mean, why wouldn't you want like a guy like uh, Kimi Raikkonen, even though he's at the end yeah. of your career, help you clean in your team? Up. Yeah, exactly, yeah. clean yeah. things yeah. up. And you yeah. you can't understate the value that having a championship driver on a midfield team has when it comes to marketing and selling sponsorships for your team. Like if I'm Alfa Romeo, I know I'm probably not going to win a title and I'm probably not going to compete for podiums. But if I have this guy on my roster who's won a title and he brings attention, mm-hmm. sponsorship, he adds some dollars, value. He adds he adds some value off. The the, the track again I, for me i want to be more organic and but i just he doesn't want to do build. anything off the track right like sure, what, honestly sure, sure. Kimmy still i think yeah. has the best uh quote ever in a, in a in a in an interview and i think it was from brazil a couple of years ago i think you're laughing i think you maybe know where i'm going with this but he was asked something did you see the the podium presentation he said oh no i was over there taking a <laughs> You yeah. know yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's a classic Kibbe quote there. Not, not trying to be rude or offensive. He's just telling everybody yeah, he was like, doing, even hear, though he did. Did you hear Pele singing the national anthem that's or what something it was. like yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, let's spend the last 10 minutes uh, here, just wind it all up, bring it full circle. Let's look, uh, look into the crystal ball for 2020. Christian Horner was saying something this week that he expects that it could be a classic, classic season, season between Mercedes, Ferrari, so. and Red yeah, Bull, unless yeah. somebody pulls something out of a rabbit in the hat. It, you know, based on that, I'm hoping to see more races like we saw in Austria, which I thought was phenomenal for, for a number of reasons, because it was the first time anybody really took it to a Mercedes last year, where they were clearly off the pace. But uh well, I mean, I'd love to see races like Hockenheim every week, but oh, that awesome. that that yeah. mayhem and sprinklers, and the chaos, the yeah. <laughs> the sprinklers, the innovation, yeah. and yeah. not to mention we're going to see two new races this year. Yes, so we get to see Zandvoort, whatever that reconstituted, rebuilt track looks like. Uh, the one that we're Vietnam. super excited yeah. about is Vietnam. that hybrid track in Vietnam. Yeah. Hanoi. Yeah. Or, yeah. How do you pronounce it? Is this Hanoi? Hanoi. I don't know. You looked Hanoi? at me because I'm Asian. No, I don't no, know. No, no. <laughs> oh, I thought you said it. I thought you just no, said it. I, I, oh, okay. Yeah, I thought yeah. I heard it there and no, I was like, that, oh, wait, 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 how did you pronounce it? Because I pronounced it Hanoi and I don't want to get that wrong. You know, <laughs> so I don't know how to really pronounce it. Especially if you're going to be talking about it. I know. That's why I asked you because I thought I heard something different come out of your mouth. I think Christian Horner's right and I saw that quote as well and at first I didn't understand it because classic F1 season, does that mean multiple teams can competing and then I, I kind of unpacked it a little bit it's like no he means classic as in the the turbo hybrid era and it's going to be those three teams and i fear that's what it's going to be um but it doesn't mean it's not going to be an entertaining or an interesting season and yeah I, I agree i think it's going to be another cookie cutter season at just, the top at the top for yeah sure. for sure uh, the i think the teams are just gonna pull out all the stops i think they need to push the envelope for this season in order to take that data and that information into 2021. So what I'm hoping for is that the teams for this season just push the envelope, just give the cars, no team orders, uh, let let the drivers just do what they want, collect that data mm-hmm. and make those changes for 2021 because this is this is it. Like let let them let them race, just pull out all the and stops. I, I guess that's really the question, right? And you and I have debated this pretty fiercely. Like if I'm not one of those top three teams and I can compete for constructors and a driver's title, what motivation do I have to, obviously there's constructors points and there's cash available to win, but how motivated I am I to compete this year or invest resources in this year when really I should probably be looking forward to a, a, 
a partial reset in 2021. Like I know the engine formula is not going to change significantly, but how much of my energy do I spend in 2021 and just let the chips? Well, that's fall why I say go for broke because uh, you yeah. know what? Let's let's make this season fun. I uh, want it to be yeah. fun, and you know Hamilton win his next championship and then go into 2021 with a clean slate. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I've, I feel that we're we're going to be in for a season that kind of emulated. The second half of the 2019 season, I think that's what we're, we're more. Gonna that's be what I would hope to see yeah, is more. Yeah, be in for. Yeah. yeah, I think it's. I think once you kind of get to that summertime break in 2020, and we we see where are the drivers, who is actually in contention, and as for the teams, who's in contention for what positions, and it's at that point we are dramatic. We are going to see a dramatic drop off from these teams. Uh, from each other because everyone's going to cut the spending and all of that resource is going to go into their the development of the 2021 car. I think one of the biggest things that people may not understand is one, the amount of money that they're going to have to spend to make these cars. I know there's this budget cap thing, but they're actually going over and above what the yeah. theoretical budget cap is for and 2021. And that won't be enforced <laughs> At least no. in 2021. It won't be enforced at all until you get to 2021. So you could throw $300 million at your 2021 yeah. car. Now. Now. Yeah, right? yeah you can front load it. Get, yeah. you, know, you, won't, you, won't get, you, you won't get any flack for that. So you have to remember that the, 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 the amount of changes that are about to happen to Formula One are huge. Like we are going through a massive overhaul in the technical and the rules, like massive. Like this isn't a little tiny tweak that they were just like, oh yeah, we'll just change this. It's, this is a this is a rebuild. This is an entire rebuild yeah. from ground up. Right? Yeah. This is well, a, I mean the changes that they brought in in 2017 were significant, but this is like a complete line is, in the sand. Yeah. I mean it's like new everything. And clean slate. Like yeah. new clean, clean slate. slate. Yeah. yeah. This is like okay, you know, 2021 we made them a little bit wider. We gave them a little bit more downforce. This is. We need everything totally redone, and yeah. the tires are going to be redone too. Smaller wheels, like I'm excited for big, bigger wheels. Oh, yeah, bigger. Oh, big, wheels. I'm sorry. Big, yeah, 18, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 18, sorry. Yep. Yep. And like yep. I heard, uh, and teams aren't on board with that. Nobody, nobody wants that. Nobody wants these 18, 18 inch wheels. They do not want it. What's the What's the driver then? Because uh, is it a mark? Drivers don't want it either. Nobody wants the. Nobody wants this. But what's driving the change? <laughs> is it is it the marketing piece? Just that it's easier to sell low yeah. profile tires if that's what the drivers are racing on? You know, you're trying to assimilate, hey, you know, this is what you have in your road car yeah. and like, gotcha. hey, yeah. well, we run these on Formula One cars. Yeah. And, yeah. and then for, they can take that technology too yeah. and then put it on yeah. the road but cars for as well. Practicality, so I mean, you know, going with the smaller wheel, the centrifugal force, the amount of rubber that you're gonna put on the tire, the performance. It makes sense to go with a smaller wheel as opposed to a bigger wheel. Yeah, right? absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, the bigger wheel now is creating a lot of problems with the teams in terms of weight. The cars yeah. are now way too heavy. Oh, they're so much more uns unsprung weight too, and they're so worried that you know they're they're so worried that the cars are going to be as slow as Formula Two cars. Yeah, like that's what they're worried about right now, and that's yeah. kind of sad to hear that, right? Yeah, it's like okay, yeah. well, maybe you probably shouldn't have done the eighteen inch wheels. You yeah. know, if it's going to cause this much of a headache. If there's if there's anything that can zap performance from a car, it's added unsprung weight and it's big. Big unnecessary wheels, mm -hmm. and I think totally. there's a, there's that tuner mentality where bigger is better, but in a performance car, it absolutely zaps performance, just like you said. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of cool to say, okay, well, we have this on the cars that you have in your cars. I mean, yeah. I've got the paddle shift in my Mitsubishi and, yeah. you know, I've got traction control. I've got anti-lock brakes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, yeah. what what makes it to a, you know, a road car from a, a, a Formula One car is really watered down and, okay, yeah. well, I got a set of Pirellis on there too. You know, that's, that's really awesome. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I know that they still want that relatability between Formula One and road cars, no matter how far of a distance, you know, it is like from your polar opposites, but, what oh, comes yeah. off the car onto to my you're, car, You're for opening example. up a can of I know, because <laughs> I'm ready to just. But from a performance standpoint, I have three identical cars. I drive uh, Scion XBs. And one you have a collection a, of Scion yeah, XBs, actually. So I just switched. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Uh, no, <laughs> I, have, I have I have three three Scion XBs with one with fifteen inch tire, a uh, fifteen inch wheel, sixteen inch wheel on the second one, and a seventeen. And when I hop into each one of those different cars, the cars are identical. They're bone stock. But when I drive uh, each one of those cars, their handling, their performance, their drivability, completely different. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I, I can say that. It, I have a more comfortable ride in the 15 inch uh, with with the more rubber. The 17 cosmetically looks good, but the handling, the the cornering, it's it's not working for me. Totally. I, I, I want to jump back here for a second because Mark, you you raised some good points, and 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 I I actually haven't really gotten to talk about this with anybody yet. But the the frustrating point part of what I've been seeing with with Formula One and, and in relation with like road cars is. The technology that is happening in Formula One right now is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And the amount of performance that they're getting from just a V6, a, like a hybrid V6. A hybrid V6, yeah. And where the energy for the hybrid is actually coming from is remarkable. And it's kind of like we're in this stage of like, why isn't that technology like moving its way over faster yeah, it's cost mm-hmm. to road cars it's so williams like they, they have like a completely separate entity to their 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 yeah. company where they, they, they yeah they, they basically develop that for road cars do I'm, they not i'm yeah they do for performance yeah. engineering for, for performance or whatever engineering, it is yeah. And, yeah. and some of it is for formula e some of the batteries yeah. that they're that's they, right they correct. Make yeah. well, for battery e, technology so. is not new this is stuff that's been around for a while i think it just comes down from a marketing and for a cost like if they put all this new high-end technology in the cars they're limiting their market and people buying these vehicles. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that I I want to see what they do. With, I, I mean, Formula E is great. I la- I do like Formula E. It has its place, its own place. And I enjoy the racing when it's on. Formula One is its own thing as well. And I enjoy what it does there. If they want to be compatible with what's happening out on the road then I believe what they're trying to do with biofuels, synthetic fuels, trying to find different ways of helping the environment, whether or not, you know, that is in correlation with what they're, you know, were trying to do in the past. It does seem like this is the direction they want to take from the people I've spoken with within Formula One. Trying to develop the synthetic base could be, I would say, a game changer in terms of uh, our our actual road-going vehicles Mm -hmm. and and the environment. I think it's a... it it, it it would smash everything like i know electric vehicles are you know electric vehicles they they also do you know emit like they're not you know, electric vehicles are they're emitters as well as as road going cars they're mm-hmm. both the same i yep. mean there's no i mean there's differences in both obviously but i'm really fascinated by what they're trying to do with uh with biofuels synthetic fuels what what they can get out of it yeah i think there's a um 
there's a well, there was I read an article in I think it was a Globe and Mail about a gentleman who was doing something called carbon capture, and it was being done here in oh, Squamish, in BC. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that right there, yeah. and like technology like that is absolutely yeah. it's fascinating. Really cool. And yeah. what and what they're actually able to do, and how they can reuse yeah. reuse a lot of that energy. And he was basically pulling CO two out of the air, yeah. and then f- finding a way of burning it down into a liquid form and then using it in, in a gas-powered engine. Yep. There's, and it was burning clean. Like, that's fascinating No question that there's a misnomer about, and this could be an entirely different podcast and an entirely different That's why different I said you're a can of words. <laughs> but, but there's an entirely in, incorrect misnomer about the, in, the positive impact that a truly electric vehicle could potentially have on the environment. And we're very lucky in BC because mm-hmm. almost all of our power is green. It's, it's yep. hydro generated. We're very lucky. But if you live in the US Midwest or the South or the West Coast or portions of the East Coast, your power is coming from nuclear generation. It's coming from coal, coal fire yeah. plants. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Not to, not to mention the environmental impact of basically mining for the elements that are in that battery and building that battery. And not to mention, we're not at that stage yet, but what do we start to do with these batteries when they're end of life? Mm-hmm. Do we break them down? Do we dump them in a mm-hmm. well? Do we bury them like there's an environmental cost there so to your point if mm. there's a way that we could let some of this technology trickle down into production cars yeah, and you can have a truly yeah, capable hybrid that's basically what i'm trying to say is kind of like huh you know i would really like to see a lot of this technology coming out of f1 actually being used because the things that they're doing are tremendous the thermal efficiency tremendous. of these oh, v6s is ridiculous unbelievable mm-hmm. and i think that like the amount of energy that they get from the thermal part of it, and then the Connecticut, the, the, sorry, kinetic as well, is is mind blowing. Yeah. The amount of the, the amount of energy they're able to store in in those batteries. And I mean, I, I really do feel that hybrids serve a huge purpose in our everyday road going lives. I, I really think the reputation's been damaged, though. I just, <laughs> yeah. I, and I think it's because, why I think it's because EVs have become accessible price wise, mm. and I think it's perception, and I think it's mm. marketing, and mm. I think if you look at these, to your point, I think if you look at the manufacturers now, they're basically flushing the the hybrids out of their production cycles mm. like they're done whatever's there is end of life and they're going to move on but i think just from a reputational perspective if somebody's buying a new car i'll buy true ev simply because the perception is that it's better for the environment mm. even though i'm getting my my electricity from a coal fire plant 16 <laughs> miles away from my house kind of thing well i'm gonna petition for 2020 2021 season bring back refueling and for formula one that was oh, yeah. really exciting uh bring back refueling the reaction you just got out of tim <laughs> and, and maybe you can speak to this because again we're speaking purely as fans i've done some amateur motorbike racing i have no idea what refueling's like but as fans it's super exciting to watch yeah. but your reaction that's a terrible yeah. idea come on horrible can you reckon and ripping was, out a, well, a fuel hose you, you and you the <laughs> A horrible idea. From a fan's perspective, it's exciting. From yeah. a driver's perspective, no, it's, it's got to be terrifying. How many times is like Reckoning or Alonzo ripped out a fuel hose yeah. refueling? Was it, was it, like, it Johnny <laughs> Herbert way back in the day that had the, the fuel ignite on his uh, oh, exhaust was, manifold yeah, yes. in the, the 90s? That, that was Yoss Verstappen. Yoss Verstappen. It was Yoss Verstappen. Yeah. 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 I was just putting in my mind, was it Johnny or was it Yoss? Yeah, Yoss. Yeah. It was Yoss, yeah. I, right. it, not from the fact that it's like, you know, scary and all that kind of stuff. From the fact that it's like, it would ruin the races because your races would would end up becoming like, you know, processions and if, and, and also formula one coming out and, and talking about being green and all that kind of stuff. And Oh yeah. I, I, I just, I got to hammer this home. Like these guys, these drivers are doing full race distances on like, what is it? 105 uh, kilograms of fuel. Something now like something that. Like yep. That. Like yep. Just, 
Yeah. Like crazy amounts. Yeah. And they're they're going so fast. Yeah. Like it, the, the, the engines are so efficient and the amount of burn that they're getting from that and the, it's you know is it it makes more sense in the direction that F1 wants to take the sport and I get it and I'm on board with it and I don't I, I honestly don't miss the f- refueling. I know a lot of people I uh, really do, but I, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I but honestly, it it, it's kind of like another variable that can makes it kind of interesting. But I agree. personally, like what I like about the, 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 the current rules is I like to see how fast can they go? Like the, the 1.9 second pit yeah. stop. Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding? Me? I know it's crazy. Yeah. I can't even look at my watch oh, yeah. and, oh, yeah. and figure out what the and time is. It yeah. is. It, it, it just blows we my were, mind. We were talking on the way in that drive uh netflix series um drive to survive yep it, it generated so much interest in our building and there's a thousand people there and we we were kind of kindred spirits because we're the only two that would watch formula one but the amount of excitement that it generated in our building was crazy but one of the things that people kept asking us about were the pit stops people couldn't wrap their heads around the How pit fast? stop like is that real what's mm-hmm. the catch is it mm-hmm. is it camera tricks mm-hmm. like no that is legit that's a 1.9 second can or like 1.9 second stop and like really they're pulling the like it's crazy to get that many people around a car that's coming in yep. at was it 80 kilometers yep. an hour yeah. in the pits yep. come to a standstill in, yeah. in sync get four tires off the car get four tires on the car Lift get both ends yeah. of the car back down on the yeah. ground and that guy's moving again in say plus minus two seconds but also cornering with cannot, other traffic in the pit lane plus yeah. the, the traffic yeah. Ergo, the uh, and then when you talk about double stack, unsafe uh, release, <laughs> double, yeah, stack. Yeah, double, yeah. double stack, love the double stack, man, yeah. it's awesome. I love the double stack. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't imagine. And you hear this sometimes as well. People talk about, well, what do we even need a tire change? Like. <laughs> We, we do because it's in the regulations and you have yeah. to run two different compounds, yep. but we also need it for the sports and for the strategy. So Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's got a place in it. I think it looks, and I think it's amazing. Like I say, I want to see how fast they can go. Yeah. 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 Okay, let's wrap it up here. We've been going for just over two hours now. Really? Wow. So I'm going to, I'm going to make a call <laughs> on, on my predictions for the 2020 World Championship for the drivers and the constructors. I'm calling... Lewis Hamilton, world champion, number seven for him. Runner-up, Charles Leclerc. On the constructor side, I'm calling another Mercedes uh, world championship in the uh, the constructors. Runner-up by Ferrari, but they beat Red Bull by a hair. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. For me... I should just let you know that I'm also horribly terrible at uh, calling things <laughs> like that. So you know, there is a caveat there. All right. For my prediction is going to be uh, Lewis Hamilton for yeah. championship. Max Verstappen as runner-up or second. Oh, I hope we in, see in, that. Yeah, yeah I yeah, hope we see for that. For sure. I think Red Bull's got a really good chance this, this coming season. Uh, constructors, uh, you know, Mercedes, is, they, they've, they've got it dialed in. So I'm saying uh, Mercedes, and then I'm on the fence between uh, Ferrari and Red Bull. Okay. So I'm, I'm hoping Tim's going to buck the trend here. I think it'll be, <laughs> I think it's going to be Lewis. I, I want it to be Lewis. I want that narrative. I want that storyline. I want to be able to go into 2021 talking about whether Lewis can become the greatest of all time. I, I think from a constructor's championship perspective, it'll be Mercedes. I think Lewis is just going to tally too many points. As a runner-up, that's a tough one. That's a really, really tough one. I hope it's for Stappen because I want that story, um, but I have a feeling it'll be Leclerc, and I'd be very, very happy if it was. Mm-hmm. All right, Tim, final word goes to you. Charles Leclerc wins the championship. Whoa. Wow, bold one, yeah, bold prediction. Uh, Ferrari Big words. wins constructors. 
Wow, wow the double championship. Yeah, I, I think yeah. they're not messing around. I think Charles Leclerc is going to win. Do you have one. some inside info that we don't know? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. He I, does. I, I, he just doesn't need to share, share it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there, and we're going to see what happens. Okay. You know, okay. I could be wrong. You know, I, 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 I always make bold predictions, and... They rarely ever do come true. <laughs> just, just speaking from a, a media point of view, you never divulge your sources on your inside tips because you would be amazed yeah. how quickly those inside, you know, th- those insider tips uh, disappear. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to be a good boy, you know. All right, so we, we got a, a an interesting uh, mix of predictions. I mean, basically, I, I'm just going to uh, wrap up my, uh, my my thought is that when it comes to Lewis and when it comes to Mercedes. I can't bet against them until proven otherwise. Yeah, that's yeah, good. That's that's good. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely yeah. a good point. I mean, yeah. they're so strong. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, wrap it up there, guys. Uh, before we go, just uh, I'll start with Mark and uh, Gil. Let everybody know where they can find you online, where they can uh, follow you on social media, all those uh, good sort of things. Well, we're uh, Flash F1, and you can find us on Instagram at uh, Flash One Flash F1 underscore official. Uh, Mark's handling our Twitter, or Mark's wife's handling our, our Twitter, <laughs> our Flash F1 Twitter. Yep, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll see some updates there. That was one of our commitments on our podcast earlier today. But yeah, and from a, a podcast perspective, you can find us on all of the, the major platforms. Um, obviously, uh, iTunes being the biggest one, but pretty much everything Spotify. else that you can imagine, Spotify, yeah. et cetera. Uh, not on Luminary yet, but uh, working on it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, you can catch me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Tim Haraney, and it's spelled H-A-U-R-A-N-E-Y. The, my podcast, uh, TSN Racing Pod, uh, That's you can get that anywhere you listen to your podcast except for Spotify. I'm still working on that one. How did you guys get on Spotify? You I'm on Spotify. Spotify. You're yeah. the only one that's not on Spotify. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to get on it. Flash F1, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Spotify, if you're listening. <laughs> I, I, I would like to talk. Yeah. <laughs> when I, yeah, well, I must admit, though, last year when I switched to providers to the uh, the network I'm with now, they took care of everything. Really? There was like a little bit awesome. of an in-between time where I was on Spotify before. And then it disappeared there for a little while, and it came back. So you got to get on Spotify. Yeah, it's about, that's, that's it's about a, a quarter of our listenership. It's a big one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> There you go. And uh, myself, I'm Mark Daly. You can follow me on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and the Scuderia F1 Pod. You can likewise find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else that you listen your, uh, to your podcast. And that's a that's a wrap for uh, for the show. Thanks, guys. Mark, yeah, we want to thank you for hosting and collab this uh, collab here yep. for the podcast and for all of us. Thank you. Oh, yeah. you're very welcome. And you know, I, I must say that after sitting down here with you guys. In this room, in this studio, I've done close to 450 episodes of this and also my uh, my, my soccer podcast. We've had TV crews in this room before. That's awesome. And th- this has been, you know, a, a real highlight. So I, I thank you all, all three of you guys for, for coming out tonight. Yeah, it's, no. uh, it's been a, it's been a, been a blast. Yeah, my Anything? pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Thanks again for having me, uh, having me in here. I mean, this is a cool setup. Yeah. Uh, you got in here. It's like every racing fan man cave whatever you want to call it <laughs> sort of layer you want to call it it's awesome i think it's really cool down here i love what you do and uh yeah i love your Cheers. work too mark yeah, thank great, you very much great, great job with everything man I, and i appreciate you hosting us oh it's been a blast guys thanks very much yeah. and thanks very much for, for, for everybody listening we hope we can uh, do this again sometime all right back to the studio with mark I hope you sincerely enjoyed this conversation and the effort that we made to bring together some of these really great Formula One resources to have a a really good conversation about the state of the sport and, and really talk about our passion and how our passion is translated into some of the really cool stuff that we do and try to share via our podcasts and via our social media presences 
etc. This is something that I, I think we'd really like to continue doing. Again, we want your feedback. We want to hear from you loud and clear. Was this something you enjoyed? If it was or if it wasn't, uh, how could we do it different next time? Are there other specific guests or personalities that you'd like to hear on our show? If that's the case, we can definitely work hard to accommodate that. But again, we're really proud of this conversation. We're proud of what we were able to achieve. We're proud as well of the fact that the principal, I would say, architects uh, Formula One podcasting presence in this country happened to be in the same city at the same time and we were all able to sit down and put together a really really well-founded and really well-grounded conversation so with that that's all we've got i hope you enjoyed this two-part mini-series if you have feedback like always let us know if you're not already please subscribe give us five stars on itunes we really love your feedback we want to hear it loud and clear so we can continue to make this podcast better With that, we've got some other exciting stuff coming up before the season begins. We have a couple of really great interviews that we are going to be dropping shortly. As well, we'll be posting a two-part season preview where we're going to run through the teams, the drivers, share our predictions for the season. With that, guys, that's all I got. Thanks for tuning in. This is Mark out. Peace. for joining us you have been a great audience this is Sarah signing off at Flash F1 with Gil and Mark